0: Okay, so on today's gratitude entry, I am going to give a I am grateful for the state of Mississippi. And here is why. Dr. Amy Libert from uh University of Southern Mississippi Amy if I got that wrong I'm really really sorry she has invited me to come back and to present at the 2023 Misha annual convention so I hope that you come join me and a bunch of amazing Mississippi speech language pathologists on Friday September 22nd As, let me double check that I got that date right because that'd be embarrassing yes Friday September 22nd from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. And I will be going through how to conduct a clinical swallow evaluation for early intervention through school-age children, as well as how to write functional child-led goals that are just easy to collect data on, but also they're purposeful and meaningful. So dear state of Mississippi and fellow colleagues, I am grateful that I get to come spend time with you at the Refugee Hotel and Conference Center in Flowood, Mississippi. And again, Friday, September 22nd, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. So y'all sign up for the Mississippi State Speech Hearing Association Conference, and I will see you there.
1: So sit back,
0: relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hey, this is Michelle Dawson, and I need to update my disclosure statements. So my non-financial disclosures, I actively volunteer with Feeding Matters. National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders, NFOSD, Dysphagia Outreach Project, DOP. I am a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents, CSAP, a past president of the South Carolina Speech, Language, and Hearing Association, SCISHA, a current board of trustees member with the Communication Disorders Foundation of Virginia, and I am a current member of ASHA, ASHA SIG13, SCISHA, the Speech Language Hearing Association of Virginia, SHAV, a member of the National Black Speech Language Hearing Association in Basla, and Dysphasia Research Society, DRS. Additionally, I volunteer with ASHA as the topic chair for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2023 Convention in Boston, and I hope you make it out there. My financial disclosures include receiving compensation for First Bite Podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com as well as from additional webinars and for webinars associated with Understanding Dysphagia, which is also a podcast with SpeechTherapyPD.com. And I currently receive a salary from the University of South Carolina in my work as adjunct professor and student services coordinator, and I receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow Truth, Science and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders, as well as compensation for the CEUs associated with it from speechtherapypd.com. So those are my current disclosure statements. Thanks,
1: guys. The views and opinions expressed in today's podcast do not reflect the organizations associated with the speakers and are their views and opinions solely.
0: Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this, what I'm lovingly referring to as a back-to-school episode. I know some parts of the country started probably two weeks ago. My boys are starting in three weeks, and this was the longest summer of our lives, but we are thriving and surviving. So, on that note... I am honored to have none other than Hallie Sherman. And Hallie, I feel like my Hallie sounds very bluesy, mountainy, twangy, so I'm so sorry if that comes up. No, it's,
2: you said it right. So you're good.
0: <laughs> she is a licensed speech-language pathologist, and up until the end of this past school year, she was working full-time at a public school in New York, specifically with fifth and sixth grade students. But she also has experience working from preschool to high school. And I know that all of y'all listening out there, we kind of dibble-dabble across the life continuum, especially within the peds world. But I am assuming most of y'all know her because she's the CEO behind Speech Time Fun Incorporate. And she has a teacher-paid teacher store, a blog, and an SLP Coffee Talk podcast. So she she does all of the things, and we're going to get to all of the things. So Hallie, thank you so much for coming on. And
2: what part of New York are you in? I'm in Long Island, if you can not tell, tell by my thick Long Island accent. <laughs>
0: My my future sister-in-law is from
2: Staten Island. And very similar. Yeah. Essence, yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> but you you'd love her. She's a lobbyist. She used to lobby for the National Down Syndrome Society and is like a fierce advocate. And now she lobbies for a mental health association whose name just went out of my mind because of course it did. But yeah. So hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. This is, it's like, I love it when we get to do podcast crossovers. Like it makes me very excited. So, okay. You work with the big kids. I get them little and we do our things and then we send them lovingly to y'all to do everything that I have shortcomings in, like speech sound disorders. And once we hit two to three word combos, I'm out. Syntax and grammar are not happening for me. (laughs) But take us back to the beginning. How did you hear about speech pathology and what made this your calling?
2: I am definitely an accidental SLP. (laughs) On top of now like an accidental entrepreneur in terms of speech and fun, I went into college completely undecided. My mother is a preschool teacher for the last 25 years, always wanted to be an elementary school teacher. She's like, go for teaching, go for teaching. I'm like, nah that's not for me. And then my father was like, go for business. And I'm like, nah, not for me. So I went in completely undecided. And I always knew I wanted to do something with children, but I didn't know what. And I happened to meet someone freshman year, a friend of mine. And she was taking these speech classes. I'm like, what's that? And she was telling me about it. And I'm like, sounds kind of interesting. And so I took some classes. And I was never the star student i was that b student just by like without having to try i Mm -hmm. anytime i had to make any effort i quit in terms like if i went to an honors class or things like that so also i'm taking these speech classes which are very science rich classes and i found myself actually studying and fascinated (laughs) in it and i'm like i guess this is my calling and then i just went and this is my personality. When I go, when I find something I'm into, when I find something I'm passionate about, I just dive fully in. And so I just spent every summer working, finding any opportunity I can get, any internship, any experience. I wanted to just soak it in. Besides, I was like becoming like a resume, like, like filler upper person, but I just found myself like subbing in preschools and camp counselors, and and I found a a speech clinic in. I went to school in Buffalo, New York, and I went was helping out. Spent a summer there working in their clinic just to like be surrounded by SLPs and what they do, and I just haven't looked back. So yeah, went to grad school right away. Moved back home to Long Island. Decided to follow my. College sweetheart, and we ended up getting married and having kids. Now here on Long Island, and yeah, when I first got into the field, I knew I wanted to work in a public school setting. But at the time, the school set the. It's still very hard to get a school job on the island, but I was determined, and I was like, "I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever I need to do." I did my CF in a preschool, mm-hmm. and then right after I. Th- finishing up that year I just put my resume out every single year and the first year I had a bite and got into a middle school and high school and I was a leave replacement I just hopped leave replacement to leave replacement until I finally got hired as a tenure track position in a public school in, in New York so and here I am 16 years later <laughs>
0: nice that's amazing okay so what I have found because I've been fortunate to work in like some rural locations and some city locations, is that there's there's so much beauty if you step back and you take in what different opportunities, because it expands like our scope, like it expands our, our understanding of where our our students or our patients from coming from. So having that experience with the preschoolers and the little ones, did that like, kind of help shape you for wanting to work with the older kids?
2: I actually was was the position that was available. <laughs> I'm mean, gonna be honest. i mean, we'll be honest. When 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 I walked in, uh, they're like, oh yeah, we need someone like to start tomorrow. I'm like, I'm available. They're like, okay, so you're going in the fifth and sixth grade building. I'm like, okay. Oh Okay, but I, I did have this a little but I Two years prior, I did work in a middle school and high school. So I'm like, okay. They're kind of in between where I was and where I was then. And I'm like, okay. So if I could take like what I remembered from my graduating yes. elementary students. And then what I had when I was in a middle school, I just had to like plot myself in the, in the middle. Yes. And I had to like just get that perspective. Okay. I remember the fears of those graduating elementary school students like, wait, I'm still continuing speech. Like what's that about? And then I remember my high school students like, wait, I'm still in speech. I'm like, yeah, you are a kid. And so I had <laughs> to really get creative. And yeah. that was when my first year, you know, anywhere in a school, your first year, you're really just learning that like the environment, even you're not perfecting your craft at that point. So the first year I'm like learning, like what's lunch duty, bus duty, all that fun stuff. And then I had a couple of years where I just was finding th- this is like before teachers pay teachers, before Pinterest, so, uh, before t- speech blogs. There was nothing out there for SLPs working with older ones. It was like, what? Commercially available products? Super duper. You know? So. <laughs> Like that was all that I was available. I literally
0: removed all of their products from a clinic in the past. I kid you not. When I was a clinic coordinator at Francis Marion University, everybody only knew how to do flashcard therapy, and I was like, "How does this carry over to actual factual like content knowledge?" Like, mm-hmm. so I went in and I pulled all of that stuff off the shelves, and the students thought I'd lost my mind, and I was like, "No." They don't come in and you wave a wand and they magically learn this. It has to be applicable and you have to understand the theory into action. And you know what? It was a huge positive change.
2: Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's a bit like I was forced to figure it out. I was using ESL resources, reading yes. teacher resources, because I'm looking at the goals that I inherited main idea, sequencing, inferencing, like. I don't know how to teach this. I didn't learn this in grad school. And that was when I started Speech Time Fun because I was like, if I can't figure this out, someone else is struggling too. Yes. And that was why I was like, let me just start documenting this, what I'm doing and figuring out on my own. Um, and I had a lot of behavioral issues those first few years when I had no idea what I was doing.
0: Yeah. So I'm just – you don't know this from Adam, but both of my sons have had speech therapy. My youngest one couldn't hear for the first two and a half years. So we had some surgeries and then he saw like Dr. Angela McLeod, who's like basically a goddess and I love her. And she got him talking and worked us through all of his different sound patterns. Although I will miss him saying fire truck with an F substitute in the middle of church, because we went to church on a main street in downtown Columbia, across the street from the fire station. And when he was like two and three, he would say, you get to fire and then drop the F bomb, and the preacher was always like, So, Dawson's, house speech therapy working out? We're
2: like, We're still enrolled. We, we it. Need, <laughs> haven't been discharged yet. <laughs> We're
0: still enrolled. But my oldest, he, had, he was a pandemic baby, and he also had a gnarly concussion. So, he struggled with spelling, could read. But spelling still, spelling is still, it still stumps us. So it's been really interesting to watch how they've navigated this because we just finished fourth grade. But staying motivated to want to go, I've watched as, because he's always been in university clinics. I've watched as professors, the grad students have had to shape intervention around his very passionate history buff battleship it's been cool to watch so how how what it's on my side i can't be an slp in that role i'm like i'm like straight mom it's magic and i know y'all aren't doing magic but you are doing magic so how does it work
2: (laughs) and it's funny like now if you said like go back to the little ones i'm like I wouldn't even know what to. Do. Paw Patrol, who's? I mean, I know I know about that stuff. I'm, I know about Paw Patrol and Bluey and all that stuff because of my own children. But I'm also like, they're my own children at home. I I don't want to work with that age anymore. <laughs> like when they, when their friends' moms like parents ask me or like family members ask me about early intervention, I'm like you're asking the wrong SLP. But now, once you start getting those like aha moments with the mm-hmm. older ones, fourth, mm-hmm. fifth, sixth grade and up, like you can't go back because it's like it's just Mm -hmm. so rewarding to be that one person in their day, in their week, where they feel successful. Yes. I I find a lot of times my students there, they're in an inclusion setting, they're in a resource room setting, like speech is just one of the pieces of the puzzle. Unless, of course, like there's Arctic and fluency cases, which still also they might also just be carrying that baggage around and like might be getting counseling and some other things. But for the majority, like so many of my students are, Having severe learning difficulties, and they're totally being told throughout their day that they can't do something. They're being pulled. They're given different assignments. They're being pulled to the back of the room. They're taking their tests in a different like. They're constantly being reminded that their learning is different. Mm-hmm. When the kids are when they're younger, oh, they get to leave the room and get a sticker. They're happy as can be. It's not so cute anymore to leave the classroom with some random teacher when you're a little bit older they're they become a lot more aware and yes. it has that barrier
0: yeah that uh, yes yes oh i feel this on so many different levels so then Take us from the top. I know we, folks, just so you know, behind the scenes, I always ask every single guest to send three questions they would like for me to ask. And then this is where those questions fall apart because we just get so excited in the conversation, but joy. <laughs> so I, I'm going to go back to them. Where do, where do you start? How do you, also, doesn't this make you think of like that huge counseling piece? Because Asha started a SIG20 for counseling. Did you know they started that? No, I didn't even know that. Yes. That's amazing. It's a special interest group 20, and it's specifically geared for counseling. I haven't joined yet because we've had to buy new toilets for the house, so that's where all (laughs) my money's going, but eventually I'll join. (sighs) Toilets. But I feel like that's a huge part of what you're having to do with this age
2: group. A lot of it is not jumping so much into... Goals and activities in the beginning with them, and even each and every session, I will spend five minutes just talking to them.
0: You're, How is your day?
2: Yes, rapport is essential to get their buy-in. You have to be fun. If you're too rigid and stiff, they're going to not want to work with you. Like yes. I don't care if you're working with high school seniors. Be okay with some Jenga falling on the floor and see, and some students walking by. It's okay. Like have some fun. Like I've. And I've done the floss with my students. Like they've taught me how to floss or or bottle flip and done. Teach me how, guys. I don't know how to bottle flip. That's a sequencing lesson. There's so many things you can work on while they're teaching you how to bottle flip.
0: Yes. But you're you're letting them learn through play. And Mm -hmm. we know from research that if they're learning something through play, they're going to learn it quicker and in less – repetitions or learning cycles because they're fully engaged. Play. Mm-hmm. There's also a journal article called Play, Play Something or Another. But it's a literary, public, it's like a research publication on the power of play, which just makes me
2: tickle pink. That and just because about. they're older, they're still children. Yes. They still have yes. interest. Their interest might be different. It might not be bluey. It might be bottle flipping and TikTok and whatever, the Fortnite, Roblox, whatever it is, find out what it is learn about it, play around with it, ask around. Let, let them teach you. Like, and it's okay. I also like to focus on their strengths. So many times they're being told what they can't do by just sh- spending a session in the beginning with them, being like, hey, what are you good at? And mm-hmm. talking about it. Letting them know, like, letting them like, know their goals. Mm-hmm. Having them create their own goals. Maybe their goal for the year is to ask a girl to prom. Maybe their goal is to get on the soccer team. It doesn't have to be speech related, but we can incorporate it or even just ask about it throughout mm-hmm. the year. So how often do you find that older students are actually aware of their goals? Oh, never. I have to yeah. tell them. And even, and even if I told them in September, I have to remind them to like every month. Yes.
0: Okay. So if they if they're not aware of what their goals are, are they ever like, how do you... How do you just say, hey, what is it that you want out of speech therapy? Or do, why do you think you're here? How do you phrase those questions? those conversations.
2: So definitely in the beginning as they're coming and being like, okay, what are some things that are easy for you? What are some things hard for you? And sometimes you can, depending on the students and depending on the groups, sometimes you can just have that open dialogue. Sometimes I have them write it down or journal or I fill out like a questionnaire those first few days. This way it's like, this is between me and you. No one has to know anything about it. But even just having something on your wall that has all the different like types of goals, like vocabulary, Que- answering questions like comprehension sounds like just some grammar conversation so th- and i, I literally like, yes i will literally point to the wall Be like which like which one's hard for you which is what did we work on today that's what your goal is like and and it's okay and everyone sometimes so many kids will be like i speak fine why am i here and it's like oh my goodness like Yes, it's called speech, but it's speech and language. Do we, I was like, have we ever once worked on sounds? Nope. Like, And then it, even as I'm teaching my lessons, in my introductions and my conclusions, I'm always reminding them, like, hey, has your teacher ever said, hey, what is this whole thing all about? Or can you tell me in your own words? Is that easy or hard for you? I'm, I'm going to show you a way that's going to make it a lot easier so that when your teacher does this, you know how to be successful. So not only am I showing them, okay, what I'm working on and why, but how it's going to relate to what they're doing in the classroom. Because if, you don't, if they don't see how it's going to help them, or again, if it's like a conversation or something like, hey, have you ever been out with your friends and had a hard time communicating X, Y, and Z? Making it relatable to their life so they see how it's going to help them. Otherwise, we're really just doing something in a speech closet. I work in a speech closet. And why, why would they do it outside of your closet? Why are they going to do it inside your closet? And why would they do it outside of your closet if they don't see why? Mm-hmm.
0: Um literally my first job was a speech teacher with a bachelor's degree in Virginia and they gave me an actual factual custodian closet. I had to remove the mop and the mop bucket in order to have a space. And I was like this is not safe to have the children sitting on top of the drain pipe. Like it no. Was, like no. So that was the fr- and they're like well the last speech didn't have a problem there and I was like the last she also speech. did. not stay. <laughs> yeah. But like, how many have you gone through? So like, let's start there and then progress forward. But, okay. So then my question is, do you, when you're holding these conversations in the small groups, do like, how many are in the groups? And so how, because I always, granted i was a speech teacher so i was an slpa back before we had like certified slpas but i personally struggled with how to align the groups so that there was scattershot strengths within the group to kind of like have a somebody who needed a little more help but could also facilitate examples in another child's weakness.
2: You see what, or strengths. Uh, totally. What? And I, unfortunately, schedule based on availability. I try to keep somewhat like level students, like I'll try to keep like, obviously I only work with fifth and sixth grades, so it's really only one of the two grades, but I'll try to keep my self-contained students together or my include, like I'll try to not fully mix and match completely. Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's not really like everyone with the same goal. But they all can benefit from the same things. They're all working on those same skills in the classroom. So you might not be working like student A might be working on sequencing. Student B is working on main idea. But they both need those skills in order to comprehend and go to the next level. Yes. So so whoever is more who has a strength in that one skill, they can be the role model. They can go first. They can whatever for the other, and they can probably benefit from the repetition and strategies anyway. Let's be real. If they're they're with you, they probably can benefit from the repetition and modeling again. So yeah. How much fine motors... Okay. When you're talking about
0: like the sequencing and all of this, I always found that when I was doing intervention, I had to bring in tangible objects. And I don't know if that's because I have the ADD, ADHD, and can't sit still and like focus without like some type of... Y'all, as we're talking about this, I'm like stimming and my hands are flying. But I would bring in like there was a activity I found in a book once upon a time where it was like a rope that you work down the different objects on the rope. Do you know what I'm talking about?
2: Yeah. The expanding expression tool. Yes. E-E-T. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. yes. I love, oh my
0: God. I haven't thought about that thing in years, but I love that, that.
2: There's like the Brady, the, the storytelling braid, the story yes. grammar marker, all those types yes. of things.
0: But like that to me was always a like, if I brought in that physical activity for the students, I felt like they were more successful with that than just sitting still and stationary. But I mean, this is anecdotal evidence 15 years later.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm like, I like, Let's stand up and play some Jenga. Let's play, yes. like, let's move around the room. Knowing your students and their learning styles is also another thing you can do in the beginning as you're learning your students. There's so many free learning style quizzes online. Let them take it. Let them learn how to advocate for themselves. Oh, I need flexible seating. Oh, I need to stand up. Oh, I need a wobbly chair. I can't sit in these rigid chairs. I need frequent breaks. I need to hum while I'm thinking. Let them act, like, let them learn it you hear about it too, and then teach them how to advocate for themselves because who says they have to be sitting down in a chair with a paper and pencil?
0: Thank you. You have girls, two
2: girls. I have two girls. I have a nine-year-old and an almost, but this is airing, a five-year-old.
0: Yes. I have the goose and the bear. So we're two boys, but they are, especially the little one, he's like, I tried to tell my body to be still, but it does not want to learn that way. But where they were in South Carolina and the start of the school year, we've put them in a different private school. It allows for learners that can't sit still, like you're allowed to move. And, but the fact that we have to say allowed this day and age with this much research behind learning styles is kind of scary to me that we're still in classrooms where neurodivergent children can't mm-hmm. move their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And that's mm-hmm. where we become an advocate for our students as well. Like, hey, we know we have proof that it's working in our therapy spaces with these things. Like, like you're not seeing it in the classroom because you're not giving them the space to be themselves mm-hmm. and learn mm-hmm. the way they need to learn. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how does this
0: tie into their reading levels? How Ooh. do you tie this in? Because this is outside of my purview. I mean, I know a little bit about reading therapy. We've had some great... Other SLPs on in the past that have talked about like the Orton-Gillingham or the Wilson's readers or a really cool approach from a private school in Mississippi, but beyond that, I don't do much with literacy. It definitely surpasses the two to three word vocab.
2: <laughs> well, if you look at like if there's a Scarborough reading rope. And it's like, it's a whole rope thing, visual. And a part of it is like, okay, language comprehension, background knowledge, vocabulary, language structures, verbal reasoning, literacy knowledge, plus word recognition, which is phonological awareness, decoding and sight recognition. All that stuff is our domains, like other than like the sight recognition, like sight words, which still we can follow that. Like, wait, this is the Scarborough readings? Scarborough. Yeah. S C A R B. O-R-O-U-G-H. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I found it. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, and then all that together combined makes a skilled reader. So like reading is really complex and it really is a language task. So our students that are struggling with language, maybe early on those EI students that you might have been your preschool students, if they don't have these foundational skills, they're going to be weaker readers later on and have weaker comprehension. Okay,
0: folks, if you've never seen this image, it's beautiful. It's literally a braid. And it's how all of these little pieces intertwine into the braid and
2: build upon one another. But I've never seen this graph before. That's wonderful. Right? Isn't it just so amazing to see, like, when you see it right in front of you, like, oh, my goodness, vocabulary, language structures, verbal reasoning, like, that is us. Yes. And we, we are that piece of the puzzle. This is okay. So I hadn't
0: heard about SLPs engaged in literacy at all until I went to South Carolina because where I went, where I worked as an SLT, we had the other, the nearby colleges like the College of William and Mary. Hi dog. Yes. ma'am. The College of William and Mary, they have um, master's degrees in literacy where you just go to school and get a master's degree in how to teach reading. So We had our reading intervention specialist and reading comprehension, reading acquisition was not covered in my undergrad coursework or in my grad coursework. So this was like a foreign concept, moved to South Carolina and the University of South Carolina, which is right down the street. And I would get their students. They have the scroll lab. They have all of this dyslexia, deep literature and researchers right there, but it was it was like a whole new concept when the students were coming to me for early intervention. They're like, well, how do you engage in literacy or pre-literacy skills? And I'm like, what
2: are you talking about? <laughs> Where vocabulary and just word knowledge and concepts is pre-literacy skills. So our students become, if they don't have an adequate vocabulary, if they don't have like the background knowledge and things, like they're going to have a harder time Getting words into their like long term memory to be able to be to read more fluently because mm-hmm. they're just not familiar with the words in front of them. It has not the, it Even they can decode all they want if they don't have that vocabulary piece, they're going to struggle. And it was interesting. It Wasn't until my daughter, who's now in third grade, started like getting into more of the advancer reading levels, and I'd ask. I remember her asking her second grade teacher, "I'm like, why is she not progressing like she was last year?" And she said. Because once they get to a certain level, it becomes more about comprehension than the decoding. We'll think, okay, our students, they might be, they can decode, but if they can't comprehend, they're not, they're gonna be stuck at a reading level. Yes. And so a lot of times our students are weaker readers because here's some evidence of why that could be. And they're in a third, fourth, fifth grade classroom reading maybe at a second, third grade level. Is it that they're not capable of learning or they're not capable of learning with that reading material? They not have the vocabulary or background knowledge or language structure in order to comprehend that reading material. And that's why it's so essential that if we're not teaching reading, we're teaching language, why do we have to, if they're in fifth grade, why do I have to bring in fifth grade material? Why can I bring material at their level?
0: And you can still marry it to their passion. You can find printed word material that a fifth grader may find appealing, but at an easier level. But okay, so then my next question is, I know that that will take time and energy to actually look for those resources. But like, hint, hint, you kind of did that for us. <laughs>
2: yes, there's tons of resources out there. So newsela.com is one resource right there that you can take a news article, things that are relevant in the world right now. It's a free site. All you need is like a Google login. And you can literally find something like, Like when the World Cup was going on, there was World Cup, like articles, whatever is like current, like right, like they are constantly adding things. And you can also search. There's like five articles that are old about Fortnite. Feel free to use them and your students can tell you what's like been new since then. But you can literally just change the Lexile and it just changes the reading level. It gives you like five options for that one article.
0: That's amazing.
2: So you print it out. You you can white out where it says like reading level or whatever your students won't know and done. It's just one mm-hmm. example of like how you can literally just change the lexile from right then and there, and it's called News ELA New, NewsELA dot com. Okay, someone might send it. Might have been News Ella, but I call it News ELA. I don't know.
0: This is this is lovely. I just found
2: it. Yes, mm-hmm. wonderful. Okay, you so, literally just click an article, and it, it says like there's a drop down menu, and honestly, yeah. just go to the lowest one. Who sit like? And you can play around with it, and you'll see the. As you go higher up in Lexile, the vocabulary is more challenging. The sentence structure is a little bit more complex. The length of the text is much more complex. So it's just like, okay, where are my students at? Where do they need to be? Do they need to be using, are you are they learning at the paragraph level? Two paragraph, where, Where's the breakdown? And teaching them where they are at and building their confidence, starting where they can be successful. Get them that quick win.
0: Okay. I'm just thinking, I have a very dear friend who is a certified brain injury specialist, but she works with adults post-stroke, but post-TBI. And her and I were having a sidebar conversation about like, you know, when the brain's recovering, if she's got readers that want to read that. I am sending that to one of my
2: girlfriends for her adult patients because that's a phenomenal tool. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's news. It's, it's written for kids, but it, it's just news at a simplified level.
0: This is brilliant. Okay, give give us another one of your favorite resources.
2: Um, another favorite one is Dogo News. Is another news news website. It doesn't have different reading levels, but it has embedded videos, so it's a great one where you can. It's it's very wordy, and I might just simplify it for my like my students. But mm-hmm. I like that it has videos to build in that background knowledge. So if you're if you're, I yeah. always am doing pre reading strategies like, hey, what do you know about? zebras. I'm making this up. I just And they might have videos about zebras right on that website to just introduce them to the concepts. You can have that conversation and then read the article because we all know if your students have that background information and that that buy-in, they see the benefit of it. And you can see where that breakdown is before introducing a concept. And then you can teach them to do that same thing for them. Hey, your teacher just gave you something to read on X, Y, and Z. If you're not familiar with it, you can go to kiddle.com or one of those other kid, you know, search engines, and learn about it before you read that article.
0: That's that's we Brain Pop Junior is a favorite mm-hmm. in our household. Has your daughter discovered Brain mm-hmm. Pop Junior? Yes,
2: love Brain Pop. It's a Brain good one. Pop,
0: they love Brain Pop, but it also has has in it some the videos so that kids that learn that way that visual learning style mm-hmm. can really soak it in. And uh, they have the world's worst dad jokes. I don't, y'all, if you're listening, my husband is a connoisseur of bad dad jokes. And
2: like. <laughs> hey, at the end of every podcast, I tell a bad dad joke. So it's really, Do okay. Really? <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> cheat sheet he has i found it in the notes tab on his phone because he was like we were getting something for the house not a toilet but something else and he was like baby put it in my notes and so i was like typing as he was taking measurements and then there was his dad cheat sheet of bad dad jokes in his notes tab and i didn't burst his bubble and let him know that i found his adorable little bit like
2: but jokes are a great way to build vocabulary and build rapport with students as well so One of my favorite ones and this at least gets that smirk for that student that will not want to, you know, show me any sort of emotion. How do you get a t how do you get a tissue to dance? How do you get a tissue to dance? I don't know that one. Put a boogie in it. (laughs) That's good. That's a good one. You can add that to a cheat sheet.
0: sheet. (laughs) You can't say blow on it to a kid, but that's what my husband would say when the children aren't around. But, uh, yeah, sorry, that's a little colorful humor early in the day. Oh, God, what, what do you call a cow that can't walk? What? A hamburger. I was like, that's not funny. That's not funny. <laughs> I grew up, we raised beef cattle, and my husband was like, yeah, but they're delicious. And I was
2: like. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Okay, okay. But it's, true. But it's true. So, like, Brain Pop has some good visuals. I also, Mystery Doug is another site that is free that all you need is a login. And if you share it out to like five friends, and I think three of them have always been like other email addresses of myself and like my husband, you can get access to the archives. It's like five minute videos on anything. He has a new video every Monday. So one one time was uh, all about magic or how are rainbows created or... How is chocolate invented? Mm-hmm. That mystery mm-hmm. dog. He's a good man. And it's like five-minute videos. So you can work on comprehension skills, but also use it to build that background knowledge before a reading task. Like awesome. it doesn't have also comprehension doesn't have to always be reading. We can do listening. There's other modes of learning. So just making it interesting and exciting for our students and using their interests. If they're like there's a YouTube channel called Colossal Questions. And there's one on, like <laughs> Like, why do we fart? Like, if <laughs> if they're into like, why not? There was one on how was fast food created. I think something mm-hmm. on like, like brain. Like, why do we get brain freezes? Whatever they're into, like, the history of YouTube. Just like, use it. Why not? Colossal questions. Yeah, it's a great YouTube channel. It's like, <laughs> like three minute videos. My
0: sweet bear asks colossal questions at least once a day that makes mommy's brain hurt. And I'm just going to turn him onto that one because mm-hmm. he's, right now he's on Neil fun time, Neil Neil fun or something like that. And they do science and it's all science questions, but bless his heart. His little eight year old self is scattershot on a fifth to seventh grade reading level. And we're, trying to keep up and keep pace, but finding something that's still appropriate for his emotional intelligence, which is that is challenging and has a special place in its own. Okay. So this question comes to mind with the movement towards respecting neurodivergency and autonomy and how – that piece takes hold because for fifth and sixth grade, you're still below that minimum 14-year transition requirement conversations and that, but you're still building their independence to get to that point where they can have those leadership positions in their IEP meetings and and, and that stage. So how, with this movement towards neurodiversity-affirming care, how do you see that carrying over with this age group to, like, buy in? I know that's a
2: very big question, but wow. And that's something that I see, like, it's – we're not fully there yet, I will be honest. Like, yeah. I, I recognize it in my therapy room. I find that the schools in general are not there yet.
0: Mm-hmm. They're,
2: they're getting there because of, like, flexible seating and just more acceptance. But it's it's still at the ex- – I see a lot of the expectation of, like, let's try to make them, like, a neurotypical. Let's, like, try yeah. to make them like this. And I stopped writing goals for that long ago because, first of all, is that really benefiting anyone? No. Like, I can't – I'm not here to change. I can't – that's not why they're with me. That And that's where the having them – creating goals for themselves, like what do they want to get out of speech? What, you know, showing them what we can provide for them Mm -hmm. and then letting them help come up with their personal goals. And that's okay. And teaching them to advocate for themselves. Like, Hey, I need more time or I need help or I don't want to do this. Teaching them like the, just to reject and to say like, is huge. Yes. is huge. Like why do they have to? Like, right. So, just teaching them that power of rejection, saying, I don't like something. I don't want to do this. I need more time. I need a break. Giving them that permission and the scripts or what have you to give them what they need and to advocate for themselves is huge. So, that
0: happens in the feeding world. Like, we get the goal from the parents. And so, to compare it to my world in the world of PFD, we may have a child that has limited food options, right? We know picky eating is not a thing. This is not that we can take that and toss it in the chuck it bucket, right? But they have a limited food repertoire for a medical etiology, right? We're seeing a behavior that's based off of the sensory experience, that's based off of a medical diagnosis, whether or not it's yet known, right? It's one leading to the other, leading to the other. But when we have caregivers come to us in therapy and they say, we want our child to eat this, this, and this. And we say, okay, well, when do you present it? When do you eat it? They themselves may not ever eat it which is kind of funny to me. Like if a parent's like, Oh, we want them to eat more vegetables. Okay. Well, how often do you eat vegetables? What vegetables do you eat? But they don't actually eat vegetables. It's not something that's available in the home. That's an unrealistic expectation for me to ask a child, or if they want a little one to eat a sandwich. Okay. I I can see the value in wanting them to have breads. Maybe they need carbs for whatever reason, but Why am I going to ask a child to eat crust if they don't want to eat crust? I was raised that if you eat the crust on a sandwich, you're going to get a hairy chest. So I purposefully avoided, (laughs) but I did. I was petrified. And so I wouldn't eat the crust on my sandwiches because I didn't want to have a hairy chest like my dad. And it's really funny. I told that to the boys, you need to eat the crust. You're going to get a hairy chest. And one of them was like, well, dad's got my husband. He's got a really hairy chest. So he eats the crust. The other one was like. No, dad looks like he's part werewolf. So like he will avoid, <laughs> he really does. It's like he avoids, but like, but when I'm in therapy and we're looking at the goals and in private practice in the EI, you inherit goals written by other clinicians, right? Like it's the same concept of you can get through life without eating crust. You can get through life without eating a plethora of vegetables. As long as you have a few solid good ones, you're well balanced, but like what is that tiny human's goal? What are they telling you?
2: And that's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. true. Who says like they can get through life without having a conversation on a non-preferred topic. Mm-hmm. That's what they're going to find people that want to have conversations on the preferred topic.
0: They will. They will. Oh my God. I had one little guy who only wanted to talk about vacuum cleaners. I learned so much about vacuum cleaners and his grandma was like, he's never going to find another friend who wants to talk about vacuum cleaners. Well, he found somebody who wanted to talk about chainsaws and they would talk at each other, but they bonded talking about chainsaws and vacuum cleaners and trying to make connections between the two. And it was beautiful that I will always walk away. I didn't really want to learn that much about chainsaws. I saw a scary movie one time. It was kind of scarring, but like,
2: <laughs> vacuum cleaners. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? It's finding that connection piece and showing them like, hey, it's okay. And here's how okay. to advocate for yourself. And and teaching the other students around them. Like, it's okay. Like, this okay, is how we accept everyone. Th- yes. But how
0: often... How often do school-based clinicians in your neck of the woods actually get the opportunity to go into a typically developing classroom to talk about neurodivergent conversation patterns and social skills?
2: We honestly don't because we're so busy. What I do enjoy, though, is, and I might be saying something that I'll regret later, but that's why I do do enjoy like lunch duty and things like that because I get to see how like just the students in general play and interact yes. and how I see my students interact and it's an opportunity to just like observe and kind of take a step back and see how, like what's going on because yes. so many times we don't see them in their like environments. Yes. so l- luckily, like that's where like you know collaborating with the school administra- like administrators and school psychologists and the social workers and the school counselors who might have more of that ability to go into the classroom.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: is an opportunity to, like, hey, like, I've been kind of just subtly sending links to articles and stuff to my colleagues. I'm like, I don't want to, like, be pushy, but you might find this interesting. And I'm Mm -hmm. just like, you might want to read this because this is what I've been reading up on. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. We – Bear's classroom, when he was in first grade, he came home and he goes, I have a friend who has – I have a friend who has the tism like Uncle Matthew – my brother-in-law. And I was like, okay, that's what we call That's what Uncle Maddie calls it is the tism. So this is just what is unique <laughs> to pact awesome And I'm like, okay, so he has he has the tism. He goes, but his tism looks different than Uncle Maddie's. He calls it autism, not tism. And I was like, okay, so that's that's its technical term. And yes. And the little boy, when he was new to the class, came into the class and spoke to the class about which I just thought this was profound. He had his mom and him and his mom went through and they talked to the class about how sometimes when he's overwhelmed, he needs to hide under the teacher's desk, right? Because it's too loud or there's, there's something, but I understand it was a luxury of a moment. Cause we were at this lovely little charter school, right? It was very much a Mr. Rogers opportunity. That's, you know, Fred yeah. Rogers, but like, Sometimes I wonder when we're doing goal writing specific for our patients and the students that we work with, if we truly are going with total access and there's a technical term for it, the access to equal, equitable access to barriers. The term will come to me later. But when we're looking at the world from that perspective, Shouldn't we be going into typically developing classrooms and talking to them about neurodivergent communication patterns? Shouldn't this be part of their core curriculum on how to communicate and engage with everybody? Why is the burden always on the ones that we've been called to serve?
2: It Mm -hmm. just, I'd like to wave a wand and make that part of mandatory core curriculum, Mm -hmm. but and I know my daughter. Like I know, and I don't know about in the school I even work in if that really is touched upon. But I know my daughter has come home and was like, "Mommy, we learned about like Down syndrome and this and that." She's one time just came home and she was like, "It was someone came into my room. I think it must have been the social worker or something, and was mm-hmm. talking to them." It was just part of like the SEL curriculum. What what is the word SEL? Like, SEL like the social emotional learning. I think it was part of that okay. curriculum or some some sort of curriculum, maybe social studies. No idea. But it was definitely a part of it, which I thought was very fascinating because she came home asking me about it and we talked about it more. I'm like, yes, you know, some of the students that, you know, mommy works with has some Mm -hmm. of those things and like, oh, okay. And just brought her awareness. Yes. So that was interesting. And it's like, oh, like it starts the dialogue. And I think it's beautiful that they were talking about it.
0: Yes. Okay. So we've been talking about goals and we've been talking about this, but- how do we make this fun for us to work on like critical thinking goal? How, like how do we make it fun? Cause I like that that's the name of your podcast and like your, your well, that's the name of your podcast, but the name of like your company is, is fun.
2: Using their interests. If they're if they're into farting, using their interest, incorporating games, finding articles on th- if they're into chainsaws, I bet on wanderopolis.com, I bet if you type in chainsaws, you might get a whole article on all about chainsaws. I know there is one on refrigerators, like you know, how is a refrigerator made or like the history of the refrigerator. I did find that one. But if they're into soccer, there is a YouTube video on like a soccer like a it's like soccer player miss or fail or score or Miss or something like that. They can predict whether or not the soccer player is going to go. Like, let them use that as part of the lesson. I am always. I love using Pixar shorts and like different YouTube videos. There's one. The snack attack. There's coin operated. There's oh my goodness. There's a million videos under the sun that I love using. Um, Oh my goodness. One man band. Glued is one or a kid is obsessed with like video games. Just using that. I pu- I plug those into Edpuzzle, another free site where you can embed comprehension questions. And so like this way you set it up once and you have it forever. And it pauses the video at that moment so you can talk about things, ask the question. It becomes a t- like you get to select when you continue with the video. And it's just the kids love it. They're like, wait, I'm not writing. I'm not reading. No, we are still working on main ideas, whatever we're working on in a way. And also, again, just getting them that quick win, showing them, using a graphic organizer, something as simple as that, showing them, and don't use the graphic organizer afterwards, because then it becomes like a memory task. Show them how to use it like while reading or while watching a video, like any graphic organizer. So say you're working on summarizing. I like using somebody wanted, but so then, and having them plug in as they're watching the video, as they're reading, so they know exactly how to verbally tell a summary afterwards. So just teaching them that strategy to be successful.
0: Okay. When you said graphic organizer, my brain tried to dig deep in the recesses of fifth grade. And I was coming up with like the, the what is the Frank, the Lisa Frank folders mm-hmm. that's as <laughs> far as I got. And
2: I was like, this is Michelle. Because our that students don't know, to, like, they don't know how to they don't know what to listen for. So we can give them a visual or some sort of tool so they know, okay, okay. Let me take that cognitive overload out of it and say, just you're listening just for this, and teaching them to do chunking. Okay, I'm gonna li- we're gonna read a little bit, or we're gonna watch a video, or listen to. It. There's oh my god, there's the six minute podcast. So there's a podcast that has like many episodes. It's all six minutes long. Another thing that you can it's like mis- like a mystery. You have to start at episode one, otherwise you'll be very confused (laughs) from experience. I was like, who are these people? Who are they looking for? I need to start at the beginning. But it teaches; it's just different modalities, but again, using that same strategy. So whether you're using the expanding expression tool, again, using all these different things that are fun and engaging and motivating for our students, and again, showing them our thinking about our thinking, showing like, this is what I do. If we just give them a tool and say, "Hey, good luck, let me know how that goes let's keep practicing it. and my favorite uh, quote is Albert Einstein. If you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, it's insanity yeah like have to like, if if' we're pra- like these students have been exposed to these skills in the classroom and it's not sticking. We have to do a different approach. We have to take that SLP lens. What thing from that rope are they missing? Is it the vocabulary? Is it the sentence structure? Is it the print cons? whatever it is and hone in on that and show them how to, and how to build that weakness using their strengths. I
0: love that. Okay. Can we talk about how you took your frustrations at your lack of ability to find product, to find content, to meet your students' needs. And you filled the void. You did it yourself. So, can you walk us through that journey, kind of like how you became an entrepreneur and then what, what you have crafted yourself? Because I want to shine your light because you, you've done a bloody phenomenal job, so share it.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Well, again, I found that there was nothing out there for my students' reading levels that was age appropriate. I was finding yeah. things like, that looked like a second grade activity with cutesy graphics and cutesy topics and bubbly fonts. And I'm like, my students are 12 and into TikTok. They're not into Mm -hmm. like Sally goes to the amusement park. Also, so my students might not have had some of the background. Like I wanted things that were relevant to my students, their experiences and their interests. So I started creating it. I was like, if this doesn't exist, I'm going to write it. So I started Mm -hmm. writing things that are about like articles about Nintendo or take whatever they're into at a simplified reading level simplified sentence structures so that they can be successful i started researching the tool, like graphic organizers and strategies are needed in order for them to compensate for their weaknesses and figure it out and i embed them into i started embedding them into my resources this way other slps don't have to spend hours searching and researching and trying to find it out themselves. Like, here's the article, here's the activity, here's the visual aid, here's the graphic work, whatever I need to teach them how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I and started how- just uh, – instead of making it available for other SLPs because I figured if I needed it, someone else needed it as well.
0: Okay. So how – I don't know how Teachers Pay Teachers works because I – one of my girlfriends left and she was like, honey, feeding therapists typically aren't on there. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. So how do people find you? Where, where Where is that?
2: So on Teachers Pay Teachers, you can search Speech Time Fun or if you go to shop speechtimefun.com, it'll redirect you directly to my Teachers Pay Teachers store where I have over 600 resources. I, I lost count after 600, but I've been doing this for 11 years now. And I have everything there. You can search by skilled. You can search by a concept, like I have things on summarizing. I have things on prefixes and suffixes. I have things on working context clues. I have just comprehension packs. I have, since I love using videos, I have video companion packs, which I, keep, I provide the questions for you so you can ask the questions while watching these fun YouTube videos. So I do data, that, uh, Yeah.
0: I know people love the data. Are there like, there's ways to like keep track of the data when they're going through
2: So, some of them, like the cheat sheets, have like check boxes and things you can check off as you're going through it. You can mark down right then and there. When it comes to data, a lot of it is also, I really am passionate about the teaching first, data second. I know Mm -hmm. it's a, so I think it's important to spend maybe the first five minutes of the last five minutes, maybe two minutes to collect your quick data. But again, that anecdotal data is so much more important. What was needed to be incorporated or be shown to them in order for them to be successful what was it the paragraph level was it two like was it a story was it a visual aid what did you have to model did they need numerous prompting what was needed in order for them to be successful so i find that so much more beneficial in designing future lessons and how to tailor it to their needs and how to tailor our prompting and our guidance and our pace on like that's a, the beauty of what we do is no one's forcing us to go to the you know, next, we'll we have a curriculum map, mm-hmm. And that's why, I, you know, I find it so important. At the same point, that's why I, d- I did create a digital data tool for my SLP Elevate membership. So this way, they have a digital data tool in the beginning at the end. They can easily plug in their goals, plug in their data, and then move on and go back to teaching because that's what wow. we're there for is teaching, not data. Okay.
0: So much to unpack in that. One, I love that you're not harping on the data. Because that's just like, this is, but that's also neurodiversity affor- affirming and trauma-informed. So like Erin co-hosts with me, she's actually seeing patients all day today. She normally, when her and I can align schedules on Thursdays, we record together. But in one of the projects that we're working on, we're talking about trauma-informed goals. And when you actually write a trauma-informed goal for speech therapy, the goal you embed the strategies and the supports within the goal. It's not like an afterthought because you have to target this from the perspective of those individuals may always require those interventions and those supports to be a successful independent communicator or eater in all settings. And that's okay. We all need some level of support and scaffolding ourselves. It's just that over time we've learned to, Forge that for ourselves, or put ourselves in situations where that's readily available, right? But if we shift it and embed that from the beginning, I feel like that's another way to build confidence for the students because we mm-hmm. don't—they don't have to worry about like the rug being pulled up from underneath of them. So I just—I love this. It,
2: and also, just spending the time, especially when you're evaluating the student or collecting your baseline data, to really get a true impression of what your students need, that we can yes. really write a goal that they can attain. Yes. We don't want to write a goal where you're like, I don't know how they're going to get this by June or mm-hmm. by in a year. And then at the end of the year, they're like, okay, am I going to roll this goal over? Like, no, we want them to be successful. doesn't yes. mean they're graduating from speech. It means they're graduating from that goal and they can move on to the next thing. Yes. So the better we understand where they're at and how they learn, we can write a goal that is appropriate for them.
0: Yes. Okay, wait. You talked about a membership. What is this?
2: So two years ago, I realized people were sending me, how you have like over six hundred products in your TPT store. I want to buy everything." How do I know? Like, I'm getting, I'm getting lost in what to find. I started a membership SLP Elevate, where every month members get like a themed re- pack of resources, relate like give, giving them all the activities they need for the common goals for older students. So, mm-hmm. figure May was. TikTok. June is ice cream. July is sea creatures or water parks one, or August. One of the two is one of the two. It's just all things relevant to older students and they get fiction passages, nonfiction passages all written at a lower lexile level, but it's still topics motivating to older students.
0: That's amazing.
2: They get a goal bank, they get a digital data tool, they get access to me to ask questions and things of that nature and tons of tutorials and stuff.
0: Okay. Beautiful. Okay. Take us to your podcast. What can folks find on your podcast here?
2: Every Monday morning I <laughs> provide the jolt of inspiration like your cup of joe <laughs> to get you through your week including a joke of the week which you can literally take and steal and place on a wall or a dry erase board for your students when they come in. My students are always looking for my joke of the week, but I have cover topics on all things from keeping students motivated to working on vocabulary. I bring in various guests that um, all work with older students or just related topics related to the field, and all just fun and motivating And 20 minutes or less. So every Monday morning, you can find me on all podcast platforms. Cool. SLP Coffee Talk
0: with beautiful purple glasses.
2: (laughs) uh, (laughs) Yes, because everyone loves the way I say coffee and talk, so why not? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay. All right. The question that I ask everybody at the end of the podcast is it's an I love you note to my grandma, right? Because my grandma raised me and she always said, All right. So, what are you going to do with your love money? Where, where's your mad money at? Whenever we had mad money, she'd want to go to antiquing, which was a junk shop. Let's be honest. Let's call it what it was. But if you have any love money or mad money left over and somebody wants to tithe it or donate it, is there an organization or a nonprofit or a scholarship you'd like? them to send it
2: to? One thing I love to contribute at least annually or biannually as much as I can, I love to go on Donors Choose and find SLPs around the country that are looking for resources to help their students. And I always try to donate to them. So you can go on Choose, type in speech therapy and help out SLPs around the country just trying to fund their speech closets or whatever they need. And some people know. are looking for iPads, color printers, Velcro, Books, just different things. So you can find SLPs local in your communities, or neighboring communities, or just browse and just can contribute twenty-five bucks, whatever price is you know comfortable for you. Oh
0: my gosh! Nobody has in all these episodes. Nobody has said donors choose for SLPs. I. That's amazing. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Well, Hallie, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a joy. I am grateful we get to kick off twenty three twenty four school year. Also, doesn't that feel weird to be saying that
2: already? That's really weird. Where, that's, that's really weird. weird. So, so I'm not weird. even done. I'm not even done with twenty twenty three yet. So <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, this is, this is, mm-hmm, how I feel about that? But okay. And folks, if you are on the land of the Instagram, check us out, First By Podcast. And Hallie, or what is your Instagram handle?
2: Speech Time Fun. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I'm mean, on Twitter and TikTok, but I wouldn't really say I'm there. But so Facebook and Instagram is really where I hang. And then my podcast. So Speech Time Fun.
0: I mean, I'm on Instagram, but I also have my my favorite account. If you ever need something, it's called Round Boys or round.boys.com. And it's Spherical Animals in Motion. It's the greatest Instagram account you're ever going to they That's just they move and then they fall. Okay. There you go, folks. There's my <laughs> contribution to today's podcast. Please check out roundboys.com or whatever it is. <laughs> Maybe not.com. That could go to scary places. It's on Instagram. Okay. Hallie, thank you. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance?